Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Coleman, and along with Tyler J. Thomas and Jeff Moss, we will be talking about standalone keypad locks. This is The Three Tumblers. Customers hate having a bunch of keys. Hell, most of us locksmiths hate having a bunch of keys. Unless you're that one old guy at the locksmith meeting who wears suspenders and has a ring of at least 5,000 keys. When our customers come to us and say they want to get rid of keys or stop paying for re-keys every time they fire another assistant manager, but they don't want to pay for real access control, we go straight to the standalone keypad lock. After all, there are no monthly charges and no fees for rekeying. When an employer terminates the employee relationship with an individual, a lot of times that can come with some consternation. In other words, you don't want that employee coming back with, you know, after hours or out of scope, especially if they're disgruntled. And speaking of disgruntled, have we ever called an employee gruntled before? Where does the term disgruntled come from? Anyway, I'm off track. You, you don't want the employee to come back when they're not supposed to. So if you don't get their key or you have just a regular SC1 or SC4 keyway, then there's nothing to prevent them from making a copy of that key or just storming off. So having a code that employees use to come in or out or a key fob in some situations kind of makes sense because then you can go in, just change the code, and boom, that employee can't come in anymore. So it effectively eliminates the cost of rekeying cylinders, cutting new keys, and basically securing your business. Tyler, in your experience, I, I know you do more rekeys than anything. I, I know that firsthand. Uh, you do rekeys of businesses that lose employees. Would it be more effective for your customers? And I'm I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, but would it be more cost effective for your customers to have at least some sort of basic uh, code or access control system? Mm, yeah, it would. Um, but uh, I think the initial costs... Uh, specifically for just the exterior is a non-player for them. So I don't think that they would jump at that. You know, rekeys, knock on wood, thank God, are so few and far between per location. Uh, maybe one over a three or four year stretch, and that's still cheaper than a standalone keypad lock, especially because most of them have storefront doors where you've only got you know, a few options, but those options are pretty, pretty costly as opposed to just rekeying. So it, it could, it could save things if turnover and lost keys were pretty routine, uh, even probably beyond that, because they can last forever if you take care of them. But um, I don't know. I could see it both ways. Jeff would, I, I, I mean, we know that you don't, you know, you're, you're a shop guy. Uh, would you rather 
if you had to go out in, in the field, would you rather go out to do a reiki or would you rather go out to reprogram a keypad? So I, I don't know. I think, you know, coming from the mechanical, you know, being more in the mechanical side of it these days to do a reiki would be easier than having to mess with reprogramming something. Um, but it, what, it depends on what it is. It, that's what I was just going to ask. If it's something like a, uh, you know, a Trilogy Alarm Lock DL2700, which is probably the most popular standalone keypad lock in the U.S. Um, uh, uh, I disagree. You'd, uh, well, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but if if you service, like if 99% of electronics that you service are the DL2700, 2800, and you reprogram those weekly, you know, at least once a week or every other week. And you can do that in about 10 minutes per visit. I mean, wouldn't that be a little bit easier than a mechanical rekey? Yeah, but okay. I could rekey it in, you know, probably five minutes. <laughs> I don't if, know if, if I if I had actually programmed those things before, then sure. But I've never actually installed and programmed one. But I could take it apart and rekey it pretty quickly. So I think it depends on what you're used to, if what you personally do more of. Here, here's yeah. another thing to consider is that almost all of them have a key override. Right. So what if those keys had been distributed? You're going to have to rekey it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and whenever I sell a standalone keypad lock or, or even a connected, like, quote unquote, true access control system like the Schlage Engage system, uh, those levers come with key override. I recommend no more than five copies of the key for them or or just key it to the top master key if it's a customer that we have an existing key system for. That way you don't have keys distributed everywhere. Which helps, but uh, on the other side of the coin, if that lock fails, the urgency of it is not so dire if they have keys uh, throughout the building or staff to where the keypad's not working, but you can still get in and out of the door because staff, most staff, have the keys to override it. Well, and that's kind of sort of going to segue into my second point is why would you distribute keys to staff? I mean, you would have, if you want access control, I mean, even with a standalone keypad, that's not true access control where you have live audit reports and, and can change things on the fly. Why would you distribute keys, physical mechanical keys to people if you want them to use the code? You, you can share a code, but you can't share a key. Uh, so I, I yeah, I, I see what you're saying, but um, you know, well, the customer that my company and your company deal with, uh, the keypads do have that option of key override simply because instances of unauthorized access or lost keys are far less prevalent than a failed keypad. And you don't want to lock somebody out of a critical area uh, simply because, you know, the chamber combination chamber is not working um, or, or, or a solenoid is no longer working, something like that. 
Right. And, and I agree with that. Uh, Jeff, what, what do you think, like, as far as physical key distribution, when you have, let's say you have a, a customer that has five doors and all five doors have a standalone keypad lock on it and they issue codes to everybody, uh, should they issue keys to everybody as well? No, but I think there should be, it should, like you said, it should be on a master or it should be on a key that's kept somewhere safe. I don't think you necessarily need the key because if you have the code, you know, if there's an issue and you need to get in, somebody can get in, you know. Right. Yeah. And and I, I that's kind of the way that I try to market that towards customers. And, you know, going going from that is you have basically you have to know the products that are on the market if you can have a single code like Tyler was just referring to. There are some standalone keypad locks that you can have a single code and you can have up to five digits, but they can only be used once. And they're kind of a pain to change the combination to if you don't do it often. Um, but everybody shares that code. And and like you said, Tyler, you can share a code, you can't share a key. But if you have a system where you have say dozens of people coming through that lock, then you might not want to have just a single code, especially when you get into homeowners association type situations. Uh, for instance, college kids flooding the pickleball court at the mm -hmm. HOA. You know, that's actually a customer we're working with has that issue. And uh, they're wanting to go away from a uh a Kaba Simplex product to an actual electronic product. And also you may want to schedule like passage times or schedule times when certain codes are active. And there are products out there who, you know, that allow you to do that. Like uh, the, the alarm lock trilogy, uh, Kaba Simplex, um, Schlage Engage does as well. That's getting more into I guess what I would call quote unquote real access control, but those are instances where you, you don't have the live access to it, but you, you can update it readily and the customer themselves can also update it. And it's a reoccurring uh, money generator when daylight savings times comes around twice a year. <laughs> <laughs> that and uh, with the Schlage Engage, I, I do have to say regular maintenance on those uh, people want you to come in and update, you know, credentials and whatnot. Uh, you can make more money on that. Jeff, how many times in the shop have you had somebody bring you a uh, like a, a Simplex 1000 because they tried to change the combination and then they just blanked it out? And I mean, a handful of times, not like every week or anything, but, but enough that you, you remember it. Yeah. I mean, there's so many moving parts in those things that it's easy to screw it up. I've screwed them up, <laughs> you know, putting new chambers in and stuff. It's not, something yeah, me too. it's not, not something that I do often. Uh, but like there is one, you know, I, we sold one for a job last week and they, they did have a key only to their, you know, grandmaster. So it's not going to be used regularly with a key. Right. Um, 
I guess kind of what I was getting at is uh, I had a customer a few weeks ago that had a uh, had a couple of Simplex 1000s going out to uh, boat docks for an HOA and they wanted the combination changed and and she also requested to buy uh, the little key and tool for the you know to take the back cover off and then the little reset spanner and i said sure here, doesn't, here you go doesn't it come with a new one well yeah but these were existing oh. and they had been on there for probably a decade or so um the the code chamber still worked fine and i said i will absolutely sell you one and you have our number for when you screw it up yeah so i i think those actually kind of are might be designed for locksmith recurring revenue because you literally put the option for the customer to change the code themselves in their hands but you have to make sure that you do the little dance just correctly beforehand otherwise your code doesn't come in and then every time you walk up you can just pull the lever down and it's in permanent passage mode tyler any additional points uh, I'm just going to say something very controversial that I think standalone keypads by, uh, by and large are convenience, convenience measures, uh, not necessarily security, uh, or, or anything different. It's just, uh, just to make life easier for people. Well, it makes life easier, but also what if you do, what if you do a standalone keypad log correctly? In other words, you have a keypad lock that will hold, say, a hundred different codes, and you issue individual codes to each person that needs access to that opening. Yes, but what you're describing is that I guess point one percent of people that do that out of the gate, whereas most of them do it out of the gate. But who follows up with it? Who is arju? Who is diligent? I was going to say a word I couldn't pronounce. Uh, who? Uh, but people that that follow that and maintain it and want you to pull audit logs and and want to maintain schedules and so on and so forth not one month one year down the line but two years three years four years down the line i think um when i was running lock reference one of the guys that was running it with me that uh well night owl basically says that eventually people just default to convenience and not necessarily good safety or security protocols. And it didn't make sense at the time when he said it, but over the years, it's made a lot of sense. I think that's what a lot of people do. They go in with the best intentions, but they don't follow through and they don't stay as stringent with the options and designs and protocol and all of a sudden you go from everybody having a code, there is a set schedule, we're pulling audits once a month to make sure people are using it correctly or when they should be. Uh, and they just, you know, new personnel, new employees, and they're saying, okay, here's the code, just use it to get in. That's my experience at least. Yeah, and I think the more, but also you got to realize if you put 50 different people's codes in there, that's a lot of chances for somebody to just start randomly trying numbers and have it work. Yeah, so, that's very true too. You know, that's what I tell people like, yeah, your your residential lock can hold a lot of codes, but the more codes you give, the more, you know, the more codes you put in there, the more chances that somebody's going to guess it to and, and get right in. So there's no. And probably one of the most popular 2600 articles, Hacker Quarterly articles ever 
was when they published the brute force list for simplex 1000s and i think it was like 15 minute tops to run yeah. through all codes it's crazy wow took me uh four minutes to decode a chamber at the southern lock show a couple of weeks ago uh that was a uh challenge that they had we'll talk about that maybe later took me I, four well, minutes I, I saw your live last weekend where you were taking one apart and you pulled the chamber out and it didn't have those combination, uh, the viewing holes. And I was like, yeah, this is about to get really interesting if he wants to pursue it. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't. Um, at that point, I would say you need a new one as a locksmith, you know. Been about 13 years since they brought those out. So, yeah, I would agree with that. It's, it's time to replace anyways. Yeah, for sure. Jeff, do I have your permission to tell a quick war story? You don't need my permission. You're the only one who can give permission for war stories. Go for it. All right. So a few weeks ago, or probably a couple months ago now, by the time people hear this, I had a job at a commercial location. It was a manufacturing plant. And basically, they're shutting down the plant. And there were Kaba Eplex locks on several employee access doors. And they wanted those reprogrammed. Well, the... A person on staff who managed those locks, uh, to Tyler's earlier point, the company I worked for had installed those locks originally and then sold the software programming dongle and everything to that company. Uh, The person who managed that left before COVID started. Uh, They never came back after COVID. So now they're in the process of going to a quote-unquote idle status at this facility, and they wanted to make it more secure. I had to uh, completely reprogram their locks. None of their fobs work because they had the Prox Reader uh, model eplexes, and basically I had to learn that software on the fly. I'd never used it before. I came in and I told them this is what's going to happen, and they were like, okay, cool. And so we had to revert back to one code. And I said, when you're down to no employees on this list that you gave me, uh, then we'll turn off the generic code. Yeah, I mean, that that would work, I guess. It it did. And I built them out. They've not come in the check yet, but, you know, they're built out. Commercial keypads, both electronic and mechanical. We've kind of talked about those just a little bit, are so very common. Even Tyler deals with them. Up next. As we just said, the end function and setting are the biggest components to selecting the right keypad lock for your customer. Selecting the correct hardware for the folks who give you money is important so you can only get calls to come back for things that you make more money off of, like regular maintenance and code updates. So what makes a good commercial keypad lock and how does it make you money? Tim was talking about the most popular keypad in America earlier. He said it was a DL2700. I disagree. I believe it's the Simplex L1000, which has been around since, uh, well, the 1960s. Uh, You can find it almost anywhere. It's very, very popular. Well, he talked about homeowners associations earlier. You can find it on pretty much every uh, shared community pool, the gate lock, for example. Should I share the story behind that lock real quick? The the development? Sure. Yeah. All right. 
uh, Aaron Fish, who uh, ultimately owns Unican and then Ilco and all of that, uh, Canadian fella, had an opportunity to bid for Canada's telephone system, uh, sort of a uh, a control box of sorts throughout all their locations. And uh, the requirements of the Canadian government, or at least whoever was in charge of it, was to have a lock that uh, was a keypad or push button lock, uh, but was also readily able to have its combination change if need be. His brother-in-law knew of a company uh, in New York City called Simplex Security Systems. And, you know, long story short, they got in contact with them, worked with them. Eventually, Aaron purchased it. And that combination chamber that was used for those boxes is the same combination chamber that, by and large, is still used today in the Simplex, uh, specifically the L1000s. So it's 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 tried and true for um, I think that was early 60s. So we're almost 60 years in now. Personally, uh, as I said earlier, something controversial, I think keypad locks are a matter of convenience. Uh, I understand that sometimes people use them as intended, specifically schedules, audit logs, multiple codes, things like that. But by and large, what my experience has been is that they just want to open common areas such as back of house, break rooms, teller lines at banks, stuff like that, without having to fumble with keys or go back to their desk to get keys. So they they just want it as a convenience measure. Personally, I think the the simplex, uh, the mechanical portion uh, is the best option because it's damn tried and true, 60 years, it, it's almost bulletproof. But you're limited with the features. Like Tim said, you only get one code, uh, five digits, only get to press it once. You can use half steps, but almost no one remembers or can know how to teach that anymore. And God forbid customers had to actually use that. So yeah, you're you're pretty limited, but I don't know. that That's just my stance on it. I, I love the Simplex L1000. We, we were selling... Uh, a few years ago, upwards, well, at least eight a month for, for many years. And it's kind of dropped off since then. But uh, that that's kind of our bread and butter. And we still occasionally sell, you know, the 2700s. We sell what used to be Arrows Revolution. Now is the Yell Next Touch. Um, but that that's just kind of kind of what we love. Tim, do you love Simplex? So I think that the L1000 it, it lives up to its name so to speak it's simple and it is uh for those locks it is a matter of convenience um because you do have one code that can be shared uh you basically just put it out to all your employees or all the members of the HOA or whatever the situation is and you say hey the code is you know one one and five and three and then you're in so you push one and five at the same time, then you push three and you pull the lever, turn the knob and you're in the door. Um, it is convenience because then you don't have to pull out your ring of keys and put it into the lock uh, to open the door. But I, I mean, actually to counter my own argument earlier, keys are a little more, I don't want to say secure, but 
it's harder to share a key than it is the combination. Um, so I do, when we're talking about mechanical combination keypad locks like the simplex, um, I think keys are superior. Does that make sense? Yes. And, and fortunately my customers agree with you and that's why we were selling so many, so many years ago, Jeff, what sayeth you? I, I think that there's so many moving parts in those things. There's a lot that can go wrong, but it is tried and true. And pretty much any locksmith can, knows how to fix them versus the electronic stuff where you can't fix it really when it goes bad. You're going to have to replace the whole lock. You know, I personally haven't installed any of them. I know we sell a lot more trilogies than we do the simplexes. Just sold six trilogies with the IC uh, to accept an IC for a hospital. I mean, they buy them all the time simplex we don't sell that many of we might you know go do combination changes or they bring them in you know there's some customers that change them you know every six months because they're like an accounting company and when they have certain people that are only there for like tax season then they always change it the maintenance guy always tries to change it and has problems like you said but personally but i see a lot more trilogies being sold than anything else there's that too. And the fact that you don't necessarily have to keep up with batteries and all of that with a simplex or, Hey, my lock's beeping every time I enter the code, what's going on. Uh, the other thing too, is that a, a, a DL 2700, 2800, uh, next touch, whatever it may be, yeah. typically have higher profit margins because they just cost more. And if your list price, your pricing is 50% off of list, you know, 672 versus 941, for example, uh, you're going to make more money on it. Yeah. D uh, Tim, I don't know if you know this. Uh, do you know why they have the holes now in the chamber so you can view them? I'm going to take a, a scientific wild ass guess and say that I made it easier for locksmiths to decode. Yes. But that was not the impetus behind it. Um, I think in 2009, 2009 or so, uh, an Orthodox Jewish community in New York sued or brought forth a class action lawsuit against Kaaba because they discovered that if you put a high enough strength magnet, you could actually pull the slider away from the combination chamber and bypass the lock. So it overrode all those gates, those wheels and everything like that. As yeah. part of that redesign, they started implementing those windows in uh, the combination chamber. So number one, it would make your life easier. But number two, excellent opportunity for an upsell or a replacement. If you were to ever pull one out, you can say this one's susceptible to a, a bypass uh, attack that's well known now, or at least was part of you know, class action lore back in the day. Yep. Let's replace it. Well, now, now, according to some uh, internet research, that bypass was only on the models that offered passage modes. Mm, I, I would disagree with that. I knew it was dependent on the handing. It couldn't be a right hand, for example. It had to be a left hand or a right hand reverse because you couldn't possibly get as big of a magnet that was needed between the lock and the jam, like on a right hand or a left hand reverse. Uh, or I guess it would just be right-handed. But yeah, I don't know if it was necessarily predicated on a passage function because what it was doing, 
and I can speak about this now because it's been 13 years and nobody's going to say shit to me anyways, but you would put the magnet on the left side of the simplex, which is where that slider, you know, that black piece that goes into the gates, it would physically pull it away from the cam or that clutch part and you could just rotate it and that would allow you entry. I mean, there were there were videos about it. I mean, it, it it's well known. So I don't think I'm divulging any secrets because it was part of a class action lawsuit. And I always wonder whatever happened with that. But um, I know they redesigned everything after that. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen those videos that you're talking about, but I've also seen other videos online saying from locksmith saying that that was only available on the models that offered passage mode because of the way that it. I guess bypassed or, or actuated the passage mode internal components in order to throw it into passage mode momentarily with the application of a magnet. I'm not seeing any though testing it just on the code chamber. I think that would be a great test is to take one of those code chambers, one of the older ones, like, you know, I've got out, out back and, uh, See if a, a powerful enough magnet would pull that away and let you actuate it. Well, Tim, back in 2009, the price of those magnets were roughly three to four hundred dollars. They're about the size of a hockey puck. And uh, yeah, there was uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but there was a thing going around in Locksworth communities back then as far as magnet safety, because somebody was playing around with it one day and happened to sandwich a fingernail between the magnet and the lock and ripped it off. Sounds pretty devious to me. Wasn't that fella, but uh, yeah, I'll never forget. It's ingrained in my, my head, that image. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, going back kind of to the subject at hand, recurring revenue. It's it's very easy to reprogram an electronic lock because the steps, you know, for example, the old Schlage Cobra, you had like a, a business card that was laminated that came with each lock that gave you the instructions. Um, that's a little bit more straightforward as far as pushing buttons as opposed to using a special tool like with the Simplex. So they either don't trust themselves enough to do it right or they fudge it up. I don't know why I cens censored myself there. They fuck it up. And uh, they call you out. So it, it would seem to me that from a reoccurring revenue standpoint, the simplex, even though you're not changing batteries or addressing that, you, you're probably going to be going out there more frequently to change combinations, right, Tim? So we have line item charges for combination mm -hmm. change and then access control maintenance. So if it's a uh, simplex 1000, that's a combination change that's roughly equivalent to 45 minutes of labor uh, at our labor rate ish kind of, I can't do the math in my head right now, but it's about that. Um, whereas if we go out to, to reprogram a, you know, a DL 2700, 2800, uh, that's going to be a full hour of access control maintenance, which is our hourly labor rate. So it, it and it depends. We have some customers that we have uh, that that have the the alarm lock, you know, twenty seven hundred, 
and they are comfortable programming all their access codes in there. Uh, we have other customers who don't want to touch the, the Simplex 1000 and call us once every six months to come out and change the code. So, I mean, I guess it depends on the uh, level of competence of your customer. FA? Yeah, I agree. I mean, if they're, they are welcome to try it, if they can't figure it out, we'll come make it happen or they can bring it in. I've been kind of perusing cursory research, the uh, class action lawsuit about Kaba. Uh, it involved any L1000, 2000, 3000, 6000, 7000, and 9000 series lock. So I, I, and I can't find anything that's happened since then. Uh, it was first discovered in August of 2010. So my timeline's kind of right. Uh, but I, I was never able to find out what happened after that. I, I assume that that combination chamber redesign had something to do with it. I'm almost certain, um, but never, I, I, I've yet to find what actually happened. Sorry to derail what you both had said, but I just wanted to, to bring that up. Sometimes you don't need a full commercial grade keypad lock, especially if it's just going on your house. Jeff is gonna give us the ins and outs of residential keypad locks. These days, more and more people are wanting electronic locks for their homes, and manufacturers are making products just for that. Sometimes, though, the price point is too good to pass up for people to use in their, in their office spaces. Locks that are designed to be used less than 10 times a day probably shouldn't be installed on office doors that are used constantly. So, you know, we, we only sell Schlage residential keypads. We don't sell Quickset or anything else. We explain to people that they're really not good for commercial applications, you know, maybe unless it's on a private office that's getting used a little bit, but you would don't want to put one outside uh, on a commercial door that's getting a lot of use because it's going to get destroyed with the weather. You know, typically a house door is more protected. You know, we stick with the basic BE and FE series pretty much all the time. If somebody really wants the the high-end stuff will install it, but we don't get into the programming or the gateways or any of the 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 smart functionality per se. But I mean, we'll make sure that the door that everything operates. Me personally, I'm sure I could figure out the the tech part of it, but you know that's not what we focus on. You know, some stuff is better than others. You know, the try to explain to people that the deadbolt is where you get most of your security. Uh, if you have a choice whether to make the deadbolt electronic or the lever, you know, I would go with the deadbolt um, and then make the lever non-locking so you can't lock yourself out. Thoughts? Uh, Tyler, it's probably been a while. You know, you have your secret hidden, but electrics, you have your own electric lock. But uh, Tim, your thoughts? Oh, I, I completely agree with you. When Whenever I have a customer who wants something electronic on their house, um, you know, we don't sell Quickset. We don't sell Yale. Uh, we only sell Schlage. Um, and we sell both tiers of Schlage electronic residential. So we sell the J series as well as the Encode um, or or the, the BE series. You know, we just, we 
we tell them the features, the functionality, which I think you're going to talk about next. Uh, but, you know, we, we tell them because we do have commercial customers come in and they want the Schlagen code uh, because they want remote access, remote viewing. But again, they're not wanting to do a full access control system. And so the Schlagen code offers them that ability to pull an audit log and see, you know, is the door locked now? Is it not? Uh, did the cleaning crew, you know, did they try to use their code on a Saturday morning when they're only supposed to be there on Wednesday nights? You know, that sort of thing. So, but we do, we do look at their, their openings, uh, their situation, their desires, and their goals and say, yes, this would be appropriate. Or we try to say, no, this would not be appropriate. What you need is a more commercial system. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, there are, like you've said, I mean, there, there are certainly benefits. There are people that do Airbnbs and they're out of town. They want to be able to do scheduling and lock and unlock things. You know, th there are certainly benefits for that. Um, but I like to keep things simple and that's kind of how we, what we recommend, you know, you're not going to put a full fledged access control system in your, into an Airbnb most likely. So whether you either you buy a very expensive lock or you have somebody who changes the code when somebody, you know, if you're out of town and I'm sure you can find somebody to change the code for you that lives around the corner or something. You know, I have a friend who does Airbnbs. It's a side-by-side -side duplex. So he literally walks around the corner, changes the code when somebody moves out and it's not a big deal. I actually installed uh, a Schlagen code for an Airbnb situation recently, and they wanted it that way because the Schlagen code offers the scheduled um Shit, I can't think of the the term that they use in the app, but basically it's a temporary code. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's it. The temporary code. Doesn't Airbnb they have a list of approved locks that can only be used? Correct? Is that right? No idea. I believe they do, um, and I think that the encode is on there. Uh, but for some reason, they recommend uh, the Yale Nest compatible electronics which the one that they recommend the most is the one that has no key override which is stupid mm -hmm. I well, that, that, that's what we had when i went down to savannah for that bachelor party of a month or so ago that was it and there was no key override and i was like well we're fucked if the batteries die yeah that's just not smart well that's pretty much all i have that's all i have to say about that <laughs> keep that in there well, it's time for spare parts or some more craziness from Tim up next. I really don't know what to expect because he doesn't follow the script. You know, the first time you install a brand new Kaba keypad lock, you always have an uneasy feeling because there are always leftover screws from those. Eventually, you get to be like us and just shrug and laugh when you find the spare parts left over. Jeff, what's your spare part left over from this week? I don't know. It, it's been a wacky week with the holiday and all that. It's busier Monday than it was the day after the 4th of July. We thought that uh, we would have like six people in the store the whole day. I bet the new guy that he would uh, 
provide coffee if uh, we had more than like 10 people and by noon we had like a dozen people so he did bring me coffee uh, on Wednesday so that was cool you just never know how busy it's going to be it, it, it is definitely hard to say Tyler what was your leftover spare part spare screw whatever this week I guess from last night and today is some inside baseball. We've all been talking about uh, what season number two is going to be about, and uh, it's completely different from what we've been talking about. And I'm looking forward to it, man. It, this this is going to be fun. It's going to take it to the next level. I, I agree with you. It is. You, you should probably share that teaser going forward, maybe at the end of this episode, huh? Uh, No, because uh, it's not quite what I want. We're still going to have some fun in there. But I think we are going to take it to the next level. My spare part this week, normally I say something about animals. The only thing that I have is that there have been five different black bears sightings of black bears walking around neighborhoods uh, in and around my hometown in the past like two weeks. So bears are out. Also, it's really hot and muggy. With Tim, I wasn't sure if that was a euphemism or not bears being out no no that was in tampa or, or st pete when i was down there what it's do they awesome. say if, if it's black attack if it's brown lay down if it's white say good night i thought just, you just threw them donuts and bacon and they would leave you alone i mean that's what they use whenever they professionally like whenever they trap bears for research and stuff and tranquilize them they use donuts and bacon as bait i mean i don't see how they're not getting cops trapped in those traps as well. <laughs> that's literally what i was just gonna say all right as always if you have any hate mail or love you know what no just keep it simple this time if you listen to us send us a note on a watermelon a coconut a 20 dollars bill whatever and just say where you're from if you're a locksmith or not and how you listen to us just keep it that simple. Email it to the three tumblers pod at gmail.com or tag us on Twitter at the number three tumblers pod or look us up on Instagram or this new thing called threads. I'm not sure what the hell that is, but just let us know. We'd love to hear from you, especially going into season two. Our executive producer is Tyler J. Thomas. Our wonderful technical producer is Jeff Moss. I'm the writer and editor, Tim Coleman. Our luncheon chef is Hannah Mia Canatuna. Our martial arts trainer is Anita DeGroin. And our rocket science consultant is Chet Propelled. Chief legal counsel is Hugh Lewis Dewey of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, otherwise known to the Hickory Crawdads as Huey Louie Dewey. Plague, gate, latch. Black bear attacks. Bacon and donuts. This has been a Three Tumblers production. Season 1, copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Find this episode and others wherever you get your podcasts. The plug wasn't in all the way. The dongle. Uh, That's yeah. what she said. I'm sorry. I Like I said, I'm tired. I, I don't have any random questions this week. <laughs>